0: Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our our reading of the sermon text this morning. We are going to be in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. and We're going to look together at verses 1 through 5 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. I'll invite you to stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy word for us as people. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. But also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is God's holy word for us as people. Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word, that your truth would go forth and do what only it can do to melt the hard heart to bring light to the darkened mind to bring newness to the will so that we could be changed to be more like Jesus that we could embody the truth of this scripture that we could live out the calling you have put upon each one of us as a member of the body of Christ and we ask it for your glory and for our good in Jesus name Amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> this morning, guys, <clears throat> we come to the midway point of our series on the one another's. We have the opening sermon on the fact that we are members of one another as sort of the prologue or the preamble to our Ten one another commandments and we've looked at four and today we come to number five so this is sort of like the hump day of our series <laughs> right you get over this one and it's all it's all downhill from here it's been I trust a very illuminating as well as a very challenging series so far I trust that it's been that way for you as it has for me because you just have to live with this for about what forty minutes or so. I have to deal with this all week, all right. So I have to stare this stuff in the face for a week, and look at all the other verses. and And believe me, I'm you. May, you imagine me in a I'm sort of at my workbench, and I'm creating. I'm sawing the beams, and I'm assembling everything, and I'm getting everything just so for the sermon. I'm leaving a lot of shavings on the workroom floor. Okay. <laughs> Maybe when this is over, I can give you, I'll write something up and you can, we can all, you can have this as maybe a reminder or something. We'll see, we'll see where that goes. But I trust it's been challenging and illuminating and encouraging. And I hope that it's been changing, life changing so far. None of this stuff is supposed to be microwave sanctification where you just pop it in for for three minutes and boom, you're sanctified and now you do all this perfectly Okay? Microwave Christianity isn't for Presbyterians. (laughs) This is marathon Christianity, not microwave Christianity. All of us are trying to persevere in our faith and good works all the way to the end. This is something we do from the time we're born again to the time we stand before the Lord. And it's a gradual process as we gradually, ever evermore, little by little, year after year, make our way towards conformity to Christ. And these are just little steps along the way. So I don't want anybody to have an, an unnecessary guilt trip to think, oh man, we've already done four of these and I'm just feeling like <laughs> I'm a goner. <laughs> don't feel like that. Begin making progress. Take those first steps in a new direction. So, this morning, my challenge right up front is, if you're feeling like that, let us all continue to pray over these things, and to ask the Lord to help us walk fully and freely in the path of obedience. And let us especially say, Lord, give us the joy we're supposed to have as your followers as we do this. We remember that verse in 1 John that says, If you love God, you will follow, you'll keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So far, we have looked at the first four of the ten one another commandments. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Welcome one another. And last week was encourage one another. And each one of these flows out of the previous one. And the fifth one another is no different. It flows out of those first four. In the opening verses of our passage this morning, all four of the first one another's we've looked at are there. They're all there. Look at verses one and two. As I read verses one and two, just just tick off in your mind. Yep, there's the first one. There's the second one, third and fourth. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, that one's easy. Encouragement. Any comfort from love, any participation, the word in Greek is fellowship, sharing. Any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So there's love and there's encouragement and that participation in the Spirit is plural. It's all of us, one another, fellowship together. There's welcome one another. There's there's three of the first four one another's. Now verse 2. If there is all this stuff in Christ, then, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And there's our unity, there's our pursuit of peace with one another. Now notice this detail in verse 2. Do you notice the first line of verse 2? This is a bit of rhetoric in in verse 1. He's saying, now, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any, it's a bit of rhetoric. He means since. Obviously, there's encouragement in Christ. Obviously, there's comfort from love. So he's he's doing a bit of rhetoric with us. He means since these things are true in verse 1, then, therefore, do this in verse 2. And look at what's the first thing he says. Complete my joy. My joy. Complete my joy, Paul says. When he's in prison, writing this letter to this church that he started back in Acts 16, he's telling these Christians, guys, since all these things in verse 1 are true, complete my joy as the founding pastor of your church, as your apostle. Complete my joy by being united, being of the same mind, having a common love, being in accord with each other, pursuing peace, doing these first four one another's, complete my joy, he says. Church, it is a pastor's joy to serve a church that lives like this. No church will ever ever be perfect, but it is such a gift to a pastor when his flock makes a diligent effort to obey these first four one another's. Complete my joy by being a people I get to pastor and minister to who's pursuing this, who's living like this. And not just for a pastor, but for any eldership elders in a church, leaders of a church, no matter, what your, no matter what church it is or what form of church government they have, if it's elders or if it's a board or, or a multi-pastor team, whatever it is, for the leaders of a church and especially for the pastors, it's such a joy to have a flock who's not perfect but pursuing this Trying to live this way because the opposite of this, unloving, no peace, divided, no one wants to get together and do anything, no one likes each other, no one can get along and agree. When a church is full of that, it's not a joy to be in the ministry. It's such a burden. And no pastor wants it to be a burden. Now, this is not accusation. This is just exegesis. This is just what the text is saying. And so without pointing fingers and being critical, I'm pointing us in the right direction. I'm not saying you guys are doing the opposite of this. I'm saying let's all get together. Let's all move in the right direction. Because this isn't just for my joy or the joy of the elders. This is for your joy too. No one wants to go to a church who's the opposite of the the first four one another's we've looked at. It's just crushing, it's just spiritually exhausting, emotionally draining to try and get along and worship and serve and minister in a church where people aren't loving and aren't being at peace and all that. So I don't want that detail to go unnoticed. It's a joy to be in a church that walks in obedience, and it's a burden to be in a disobedient church. So let us go strong after these one another's. Now, flowing naturally from verses 1 and 2 is our fifth one another. And it's honor one another. The word honor doesn't occur in the passage. But honoring one another is what's described in this passage. Elsewhere in Scripture, we find in 1 Peter 1.17, the command straightforwardly, honor everyone. Romans twelve seventeen Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, consider, think about, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought, be careful to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Honor everyone, honor one another. To understand and apply this commandment, this one another, we're going to focus on verses 3 through 5 of Philippians chapter 2. And we'll pull some other passages in that are related to it. And now there are three points to consider this morning. And each one in your handout is the answer to a question. Here are the three questions. Question one, what does it mean to honor One another. Question two How do we show honor in our relationships? And third, what does Jesus give us to enable our honor? That's where we're going this morning. So, first, what does it mean to honor one another? What is biblical honor? Now, in your handout, there's a word you should add to point one. I'd already given Gladie the notes before I thought of something to add. So rather than have her reprint it, I'll just tell you to add a word to it. So you see, point one is prize, praise, and then add this one, prioritize. Prioritize. So, what is what does it mean to honor one another? What's biblical honor? Well, the Greek word... For the noun, honor, has several uses in the Bible. And here's, here's two. Here's two that tell us what biblical honor is. First of all, this word honor in Greek is used for how much something costs. It's the price of something you'd pay in the market. And from there it turns into... The value of something, how precious or how important or how significant something is. That's its honor in Greek. And then you turn that into a verb and it means to prize, it means to ascribe worth, value costliness, preciousness, importance, significance to something. And then you go a step further. Instead of just thinking something is full of this value and significance, you then say so out loud. And that's public honor. It means to praise, to acclaim something, to brag about it. To give recognition to someone. We do this in English. So and so is going to be honored today with a prize for his humanitarian efforts or whatever. And we honor them with a prize or with a statue or we name something after them. We honor them in some way. We give them public praise and recognition. Or we even sometimes give them a reward or an actual prize. And that itself could be the honor we give them. It means we reverence something out loud in public that 's what paul 's getting at back here in romans one seventeen or twelve seventeen when he says, "Do what is honorable in the sight of all it 's public. We give respect, we give esteem, we give reverence, we even pay homage to things that we honor and biblical honor is a selfless virtue it 's all about extolling, praising, recognizing." someone else, for who they are or for what they've done. It's always directed towards and focused on someone other than you. We don't like people who heap up honors on themselves. Oh, look at me. We, we don't like to be around people like that who are greedy for their own praise and recognition. They're just insufferable to be around who thinks it's all about them and they're the best and they deserve all the attention and all the credit. We don't like being around others who are like that. And when we honor someone, biblical honor is always directed outward. It's always directed at someone else. So take these two uses of the Greek word for honor. something's value that you prize it and that you praise it. Prizing and praising. Those first two points on number one. So when we honor one another, we're valuing each other. We're considering each other to be very important, very significant. We count other people as precious to us, valuable, meaningful, costly. Now, you may be tempted to think, well, doesn't that kind of sound like love? You love somebody. You, you just, oh, I love that person, and I, I really care about them, and I value them. Sounds kind of like love, uh, but there is a difference, and let me give you an example uh, from when I was in college. Uh, so I have a, I had a friend in college. Actually, we were friends in high school. She went to college ahead of me, and then I went to the same college. Her name's Crystal, and me and Crystal one day are walking across campus, and there's a, there's another guy with us, and we're walking across campus, and we Meet this other girl coming towards us, who's friends with Crystal. I have no idea who she is. And and they, when they met each other, they do that thing that some girls sometimes do. Hey! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> okay. How oh, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in forever. Ah! Oh. You know, we should hang out. Oh! Well, you know, they did this for like you know, five minutes. Okay. So me and the other guy just sort of stood back. You have the floor, ladies. And let them, let them do their thing. And then, I mean, they were like, Oh, we're going to hang out. It was so good to see you. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. And then no sooner had that girl got out of earshot that Crystal leans into me and the other guy and she goes, Now, we love her in the Lord, but her mansion will not be next to ours in heaven. <laughs> okay. Um. Do you see the difference? (laughs) I love her. I don't really want to be near her in eternity. (laughs) So there's love in her heart. She was happy to see her, but she doesn't really value the friendship that much. Okay. So there is this subtle difference, isn't there, between loving someone and then actually Prizing that person and seeing how uniquely valuable and important that person is and one of the things that we're called to do when we honor each other is that we are called to see each other as full of value to see and recognize how truly important and significant each of us are to not just love in your heart but actually prize your relationships with one another here and not to not to have the attitude of I'm willing to love you but if you were in another church that would be good too <laughs> it'd be easier to love you if you went to the other church down the road But to actually have full, to invest each other in our relationships with full value is part of how we honor each other. And the other part of honoring is praise. That we actually say something to praise and recognize the good that we see in each other. To notice those things that are lovely And honorable. And good and praiseworthy. And right and true. And to just fill our minds with what is best about each other. Instead of always focusing on what are the flaws I can pick on. We're good at seeing the good in ourselves. Because we know our motives and intentions. And we give ourselves a pass sometimes. Because we know our heart was in the right place. Or at least we are convinced it was in the right place. But we're, it's so easy to, to look at others. And, and find the flaws. And pick on the mistakes. And never let those little things go. And magnify those. Instead of balancing it out. Yeah, recognize the warts and problems and flaws we all have. Sure, don't pretend each other's perfect. But balance it out by looking at the praiseworthy things and dwelling most on those. Honor is a selfless virtue. And that means that honor begins with humility. It begins with getting self out of the center of the universe. Paul says in Romans 1 that man made, God made man in his own image. And basically, this is, this is my paraphrase, and then man returned the favor. And we make God in an image that we create in our own minds. And the image we most like to to put God in is the one we see in the mirror. That's our favorite image. But if we get self out of the center of the universe, we're on the track. We're taking the first step towards the humility that biblical honor requires. Now let's get into our passage. Look at verse 3. And let's see how Paul sort of describes what honor looks like. Look at verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition. This is why honor starts with humility. Selfish ambition. We think our agenda, our plans, our desires, our schedule... Our ideas, our needs, our feelings are more important and more urgent and more correct than anyone else's in the world. And if you don't believe that about yourself, just pay attention to the way you behave the next time you're in traffic. Don't these people know I got somewhere to be? Well, actually, we all do. That's why we're in our cars. One of my favorite things that Sarah ever said was, (laughs) we were in traffic, and uh, I do this thing where people I don't know, I call them Marvin. (laughs) It's weird, right? I'm really opening up to you guys. (laughs) And so when somebody does something silly on the highway, I'll go, I'll move over Marvin or speed up Marvin or something like that. And I was doing this one day, and, and I was not having a particularly good driving day, and Sarah just leans over and goes, you are Marvin. <laughs> she said, everyone, everyone thinks they're in traffic, and no one also realizes they also are traffic. You're someone else's traffic, buddy. <laughs> Marriage is what keeps us humble, right, Matt? selfish ambition we really do think that what we have going on is really most important next time you're in traffic pay attention or the next time you have to wait in a long line somewhere or the foods not coming quick enough at the restaurant selfish ambition we are very very selfish and our ambitions are always top priority And Paul says, do nothing in the church from selfish ambition. Get self out of the center of the universe. And then he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, conceit is vanity. Vanity about our own importance, our own greatness, how much better we are than others and how entitled we think we are. In all sorts of ways and in all sorts of areas, we struggle with selfishness, selfish ambition, and conceit about ourselves. And he says, instead of doing that, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, second half of verse 3, but in humility. In humility, or with humility, you could translate it. In humility... Be done with selfish ambition. Be done with conceit and vanity. And embrace humility. We must humble ourselves. Biblical honor begins with humility. We must humble ourselves and give up thinking so highly of ourselves all the time. Put away our arrogance and our pride. And then do what? Last part of verse 3. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. The hardest part of the verse. This is the beginning of biblical honor. Count others more significant than yourselves. Instead of thinking all honor belongs to me, give honor away. Give it away. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your neighbor. And the cool thing is, if we're all doing that, I'm giving my honor away to you, but you're giving yours to me. And here we're freely giving honor to one another. No one's going to lack honor in that church if we're all doing it for each other. And now, we have the joy of saying thank you to each other instead of being proud. Count others more significant than yourselves. Impute that honor to each other. Honor means ascribing to others value, importance, and significance above yourself. It means prizing others, holding them in higher regard than you hold yourself Honor one another means showing respect and giving recognition and praising each other when we do good. And now, that word I told you to add to point one, prizing each other and praising each other. And then that third piece is prioritizing each other. This is verse four. Look what Paul says in Philippians 2.4. Count others more significant than yourselves. End of verse 3. Then verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The Greek is very terse here. He doesn't actually use the word that means interests. He just uses a word that basically means things. Stuff. (laughs) I, I like that. We get caught up in our own stuff. Now, we have stuff we have to attend to. Notice it does not say that every time someone else has asked you for something, you have to drop whatever you're doing and just help them. Otherwise, you're selfish. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says, let each one look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You have stuff you have to take care of in life. You have responsibilities and you have your interests and you have things that are important and you've got to do the things you've got to do in life. We all know that. But what you have to do in life isn't more important than what they have to do in life. And what this is saying is get outside yourself and prioritize time to deal with each other's stuff. To look out for each other's interests. Honor means putting our own stuff aside sometimes and being there for one another. And the reason it's honor is because we're treating what another person needs or what another person wants, their interests, their stuff, we're giving it value. We're treating it like it's important. Instead of saying, well, eh, eh, forget them. I don't. Eh, not worth it. Not worth my time. I'd rather not do it. And just what you're doing then is you're denigrating one another at that point you're taking honor away from each other we want to invest each other and their and in your life and the things you have going on we want to invest each other's persons and their lives full of value prizing praising and prioritizing God wants us to live lives of honor Where we prize and praise and prioritize one another above ourselves. And this should be our ambition. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12. Paul says this in Romans 12. uh, Verse 10. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If there's going to be a rivalry in our church, if there's going to be a competition and we're going to be cutthroat with each other and see, I'm going to win. I'm going to win this contest. You watch and see. The only contest like that that should exist in our church is who can be the most humble and show the most honor to another person. If you win that contest, you don't get to claim victory because then you wouldn't be humble anymore. It's perfect. (laughs) I am dead set on making sure I show more honor to everybody else than I ask for for myself. Outdo each other in how much honor you can show to somebody else. See how many people you can praise. And I don't mean praise in a way that puffs up their pride the way we praise God or something. I'm just saying when you see someone do well, encourage that, speak to that. That was an excellent, the way you did that children's ministry today, that was beautiful, fantastic. The way you are living in your marriage is so encouraging to me. You're doing wonderful. You're such an example to me. Finding these ways to give praise and recognition to all the good we see in each other. Like I said before, it's so easy to find all the stuff that's wrong with each other and dwell on that and never let that go. We have to stop it. Philippians 4.8, Paul, <clears throat> Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things dwell on the good in each other and that will help us honor each other those are our marching orders to honor one another that's the answer to that first question what does it mean to honor one another. Always be on the lookout for every opportunity to praise and celebrate one another instead of always looking to find fault or to criticize or to judge or to shame one another. Now, that's the longest point this morning. Point two: do deference. The quest, that's the answer to this question. How do we show honor in our relationships? we show due deference to one another according to the position each one of us has in the church and in life. Paul summarizes this in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of the ways that we show honor to each other in our relationships practically in the church and in life is by submitting to and respecting one another. And then Paul goes through Ephesians, the rest of Ephesians 5, he just goes right through it. After he says submit to one another, he then goes through a list of who submits to who and how. And the Bible does this in other places as well. In Ephesians 5, Paul says husbands are to submit to the needs of their wives and sacrifice themselves for her well-being, for her happiness, for her holiness, and for her flourishing, as Christ does for the church. Husbands submit their own selves, their very lives, to the needs and priorities of their wives. This is what Peter says in first Peter 3 7 likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered and just a quick word about this showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel in that society It was another class of existence to be female. Women did not have the honor that men had. They weren't expected to receive it. They weren't expected to ask for it. They were the weaker vessel. Some people in antiquity absolutely despised femininity, motherhood, things like that. So what Peter, what the Bible is saying is give your wife the honor no one else will as the weaker vessel. Exalt her. Lift her up. Live with her in an understanding way unlike all the non-Christian husbands around you. Why? Because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are equal heirs with you of grace salvation of the gospel of eternal life so that your prayers may not be hindered the prayers of a couple are hindered when the husband doesn't show the honor that his wife deserves live with your wives in an understanding way show honor the way you show honor is you don't force your own agenda but you submit yourself to the needs of your wife And sacrifice yourself for her the way Christ does for the church. And then he moves to wives. Wives are to submit to the loving headship and leadership of their husbands. And if they're living and loving and leading like Christ, that won't be hard to do. As the church respects the headship of Christ and follows his lead as his faithful companion, so the wife is to submit to the husband. That's the way you honor the husband. Third, children there in Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians 5 into Ephesians 6, Paul says children submit to their parents and revere and obey them as is fitting in the Lord. And then Paul elsewhere in the Bible says all Christians are to submit to the elders of their church. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's a heavy thing to be an elder in a church, to be a pastor, to be a leader, because the leaders have to give an account for how well they lead Christ's flock, not theirs. We are stewards of His bride, the bride of Christ, and He will not treat you lightly if you abuse His bride. That's a warning to us leaders and elders. It's a sobering warning. Obey your leaders, Hebrews says, to the Christian churches. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. A church that won't let their leaders serve with joy but makes it a burden and causes them to groan under the stress and weight of having to lead an obstinate, disobedient, rebellious church, is that it's no advantage to you, the people. If they're miserable leading you, (laughs) that's not going to help you at all. So This text is calling us, just like I said at the beginning about There in verse 2, when Paul said, complete my joy, complete my joy by being on the same page, being of one mind with the same love, this text is likewise calling us to submit to the leadership of the elders of the church. And then verse 18, Hebrews 13, 18 says, pray for us, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things. The elders of any church need your prayers. They need your encouragement. They need your support. They need to know that you're fighting alongside them, shoulder to shoulder for the truth of the gospel and not against them. We want to serve with joy. I can speak for all the elders and say we want to, how does it say? We desire to act honorably in all things. But we are broken, needy, sinners. Just like everybody else. And we need constant, constant supplies of God's patience and mercy. To lead in a way that we think he wants us to go. And that won't be perfect. And there will be mistakes. But we're called to uplift, to encourage, to support, to stand alongside, and to show honor by submitting to their leadership. 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching the elders who are laboring well are worthy of double honor we honor the leaders of our church when we submit to their leadership and we do those we do point one prize and praise and prioritize. Doesn't mean you can't hold them accountable. Doesn't mean you can't come to me. And if you disagree about something and say, I disagree. I have a criticism. I have a question. I have a problem. I have an open door to everybody in this church who wants to come talk about something they don't agree with. That's fine. I don't expect perfect agreement on every point. <laughs> That's a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. And we need advice. We need to hear someone else tell us how it's coming across or how something landed on them or something that rubbed them the wrong way. We, need, we have to address real issues. But that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that we don't prize and praise and prioritize showing honor to the leaders of the church. And so we need your prayers. We need them every day as we lead the way we think God calls us to lead. We should prize and praise and prioritize everyone in our church and submit to one another in whatever position God has put us in, showing due deference, complete respect, full recognition to anyone we see doing something good. And now, the last point this morning. What does Jesus give us to enable our honor And the answer is, he gives us dignity and he gives us the gospel. So let me just say a closing word about each of these. Jesus restores our dignity as a child of God. Sin strips us of our dignity, of our worth, of our respect, of our value. Sin will make us feel useless and worthless. And anyone who has a a rough past and a rough testimony, I was involved in all this junk and I was at the bottom of the barrel and then Christ pulled me out. Sin had left that person useless and worthless. Sin ruins us, strips us of the value we have as image bearers of God. And what Jesus does is he rescues us from sin and he restores our dignity as the redeemed image bearers of God. Jesus comes along and even while we were still sinners, dies for us. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 26, he says, "'Consider your calling, brothers,' He says, think about yourselves, Corinthians. You're not these big, awesome, important people in your society. Some of you are nobodies from nowhere. Nothing to no one. And Jesus comes along and dies for you to make you His and to give you a weight of eternal glory. Amazing good news to the outcast, to the one who's broken, to the one... Who feels all their dignity has been ruined. So that, no one, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. So that as it is written let the one who boasts. Boast in the Lord. Jesus gives us a place of honor in his body. He restores to us. The honor we lost through the degradation of sin. And second, he doesn't just give us our dignity back. He gives us the gospel. So that we can give each other their dignity back. In the gospel, we see the perfect example of Jesus as our model to follow. And that's verse 5 of our text. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ, the one who humbled himself and took the form of a servant and became nothing and went all the way to the cross for us. We see in Christ the example, the model to follow. And we see in his triumph the gospel grace that enables us to honor one another as his redeemed people. And the last thing Jesus gives us in the gospel is this. He says in John twelve twenty six, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. God the Father will honor the followers of Jesus. That's gospel grace. 1 Peter 1.7 The tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire so that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ that's when we'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. The gospel restores our dignity, shows us the example of Christ for how we honor others, and then it promises us that we will be honored as well for our faithfulness. God the Father and the Lord Jesus have made us honorable by grace. And if God the Trinity has done this for us, then oh, let us honor one another with all that we have. This is the last text I'll leave you with. Second Timothy 2.21 Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Oh, church, Forks Church, let us cleanse ourselves from all those things that are dishonorable so that we can be an honorable vessel in the hands of our Lord, useful to the Master. Useful to the Master so that He can work through us His perfect will as we seek to honor one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word once again this week. And thank you for the truth that you pour forth from these scriptures. I pray that you would write the truth of your word upon our hearts. Inscribe it deep upon us. Into our very souls. And change us to be these kinds of people. Not just people who try to do new things. But make us new creatures in Christ. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us to go forward and to honor each other as you have called us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.